Hello, welcome to Your Move Creep, the podcast that celebrates action cinema from 1980 to the year 2000, from the east to the west, from the worst to the best. My name is Lyon Reed, and I thank you for joining me on this very first Christmas episode. On this episode, we're putting the age-old argument to bed as myself and my guest, Green from Water Screen Podcast, talk about the definitive Christmas movie, Die Hard. Apart from setting the world to rights, we talk about our love for Alan Rickman, we check in on the Big Five, and we go to the coast and spend some time in the trivia zone. So without further ado, let's yippee-ki-yay creeps. Hi Green, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. So excited. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad to have you on. I've been a bit of a tail trying to get you on because um, I thought you were going to come on for one other, a different film and then I realised <laughs> Megan Kelly, her friend, um, she decided to jump in on The Crow. I was like, okay, I, I can't give you The Crow, so I've got this other film to, we can do. Um, and then I went and got very, 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 very sick and that sort of put the span into the works again. So thankfully we're here. Um on a Monday morning, it's all good. It's awesome. <laughs> it's um, worked out well. Look, it's yes. combining two of my loves, ultra violence and Christmas. So yes, it's yes, worked out really well. It's all good, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> we got there in the end and we get to talk about a really fun movie. So um so we're gonna start as we always gonna start start with the podcast and ask you a little about about your kind of first experiences with action movies. Um kind of growing up. Yeah, um up. so my first experience I think would have been um <sighs> Would you call it action? I don't know. I would. Um, the Blues Brothers, I guess, between that and probably like Adam West's Batman and all the Batman films, which are, you know, comic book slash action. But yeah, it would have been the Blues Brothers um, because I was grew up in a real musical household. And so watch, I felt like I watched that pretty much every week. And obviously with, you know, all the car car chases and um and all the the kind of violence in that I guess that was my first foray into it but then I kind of you know went more along the horror thing of films that's you know what I'm into Mm -hmm. and I feel like I didn't really get into action per se until I was a bit older and probably you know went to the cinema um on quite a regular basis when I was living in Dublin in the city Mm -hmm. um and even though I would never be like oh yeah action's one of my favorite genres thinking about it I do get a lot of enjoyment from it Mm -hmm. um whether that's because of the ultra violence or I really like action films that are silly yeah. I don't like ones that take them too seriously. I love silly action films. Like, I'm a massive fan of the Expendables oh, yes, franchise, yes. and no one can tell me otherwise because <laughs> I think it's just so ridiculous that it just brings me joy. Yeah, they're very, they're very kind of campy movies. They're very, like, yeah. over-the-top sort of violence and over-the-top sort of acting. It's, 
it's sort of like that sort of combination of bringing all the sort of the very sort of um, big action heroes, kind of you know the very big personalities, and have them in this movie and sort of expect them to be like to try and kind of um, deal with each other on a sort of normal basis, but no, they're like it's all big egos and yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're great, they're great movies. Um, I've not seen the fourth one yet. I need to kind of get myself on to doing that, but um, yeah, I love all three of them. I've seen before, so yeah, uh, they're very very daft movies, but. Again, they're they're enjoyable. They're great popcorn movies. You know, they're great kind of like obviously they're harkening back to the kind of eighties and nineties movies that we all kind of love. But yeah. yeah, I don't think you can really knock them. They are very stupid and not really great. They're not Oscar yeah. Oscar bait, so to speak, <laughs> but they are they are quite fun in terms of like just just watching sitting down and going switch my brain off and just enjoy dumb macho action movies for a, a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, I did go through a phase as well of loving like car action stuff. So like, mm. um, obviously Fast and the Furious, but Gone in sixty seconds. Oh yeah, was like a massive one for me. I think mainly because I was definitely gay for Angelina Jolie. Like definitely. <laughs> but I, it's just something about car films that I just had a bit of a thing for. Um, and again, again, I think it's because they're quite silly as well, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That I just, yeah, I think it's just the silliness for me. I need, I need a bit of silliness in my life, and that's what these action films kind of, you know. I watch a lot of really horrible horror, so like, I yeah, feel like yeah, I yeah. need a bit of silliness. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think those are the sort of a good juxtaposition when you what you like and stuff because I like the very like, well, you obviously maybe a big fan of a kind of low budget sort of horror mm. movies, and I like sort of low budget um, action movies. You know, your sort of your Mark DeCascos, your um, Lorenzo Lamas, mm. you know, guys that just that don't really, they never were had a name in lights. So we're just sort of like, um, always sort of like straight to the video shop. Sort yeah, of guys. and that's sort of what I try try bring about with this podcast is, you know, there's a lot of sort of podcasts that talk about kind of low budget horror and sort of independent horror, and I kind of want to bring back sort of like the eighties and nineties um, straight to VHS action movies and talk about the sort of shitty. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just total cheat cheddar and it's bad special effects and it's you know really horrible squib work and stuff like that so yeah. I, I really want that sort of the horrible sort of like ultra violence <laughs> but also the sort of very daft and shitty kind of cop movies and stuff that, that kind of yeah about that time so yeah I, can, I, I think there's definitely a, a a market for both those kind of things in in the world and um I hope those, there's a lot more of those kind of films that come back again like well, it's more independent action movies, hopefully, like there is a lot of independent horror movies. But yeah, it's 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 do you have a kind of favorite car movie? Is it sort of is it the fast you can kind of lean towards the fast movies? You... Um, I think I'm gonna have to go with Gone, Gone in 60 Seconds. I just think it's so ridiculous. Um, and it's something that I can watch tight. Like, I've tried to get through the Fast and the Furious franchise, but I just mm. keep getting lost and just keep getting like, ugh, I think I'd give up after three. Um, whereas I think, like, Gone in 60 Seconds, I, I've rewatched so many times. I just love how bad it is. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's a proper cheesy movie. And, like, yeah. as I say, it's, it's anything with anything with Cage in it is going to be exactly. pretty, pretty cheddar. If he's, if he's in an action movie, he's not playing it super serious. He's very much, you know, um, Gonzo sort of cage in that sort of movie, especially in the sort of in the sort of the kind of late nineties with like the Rock and stuff as well. He's very yeah. much a che- cheesy cage. Um, as Petrus would probably quite happy about talking to me about. Um, so another kind of question we can kind of around that sort of area is that when you think of action movies, what kind of 
what actor, even a kind of character, embodies that genre for you? Um, if you think of it in a sort of a dictionary definition, if you open the dictionary up and there's a picture mm. of action movies, who would you think? Who would it be for you? Um, I guess it would be your kind of your typical um, Jean-Claude Van Damme, your uh, obviously Schwarzenegger, St- mm. Stallone, Bruce Willis, um, those kind of people. Um, I, I put, I guess, Angelina Jolie in there as well. She did quite a lot of action films. Mm. And for me, Daniel she Nicholas. was like, she was bay for me. Um, and she, you know, about time Tomb Raider came out, obviously gone in 60 seconds. Mm. Um, I think Salt was another one that she was yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, like that meant the world to me to see a woman in an action role mm. as mm. the main action hero rather than, you know, the quippy damsel in distress or whatever. So for me, it would be someone like Angelina Jolie. Um, but yeah, you've got to kind of think of all the the very stereotypical <laughs> ones, um, like Arnold and mm. Stallone. Yeah, I think I think. And were you were you a fan of the Tomb Raider movies when they came out? I was, but I, again, I think that was just me being gay and not like you know. <laughs> when she came out of that water in that silver wetsuit, oh my god! Um, but no, I was. I, I mean, obviously, looking back now, you're like, Ugh. but. Yes. Yeah, I was. I I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed the Tomb Raider films. I was an absolute massive fan of them. I remember going to see. It. I don't think I've only ever seen the first one. I seen it in the cinema because my friend was like, I like Angelina Jolie. Maybe she, maybe she was a slightly gay for her as well. Um, I was like, right, I want to go and see this movie. And I said, she's like, oh, I think the guy from Red Dwarf's in it. I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> and sort of a small role, like Chris Barry from yeah. Red Dwarf is in it for a very small role. She's a strange like pick I think you know because I was like what why is it why? like and he just uh, inexplicably turned up as our butler and I went who 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 when the cast was like right I looked for all the guys could be a butler English actors I'll get the guy Rimmer I'll get Rimmer from yeah. Red Dwarf in it. <laughs> I think I'll get awesome and then I'll get they'll get Daniel Craig the most movies like British guy ever and we'll get him to play an American yeah. um, but that's like it's it's a very daft movie and I think that maybe you can if you're an Angela Julie fan, which you mm. know, I, I do, I like about Angela Julie sometimes. Um, I think you can sort of forgive the plot for skin, yeah. skin, skin clad lycra, um, and you know rubber. I guess it's, 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 it's the they're very da- again like we spoke. These bend was a very daft movie. So sort of mm. if you were a fan of like the the games, I suppose you would kind of go and watch those films and be like. This isn't this, this isn't like, and like the games, I suppose. But um they are quite fun fun in kind of daft movies. But one day maybe I'll get around to watching the second one. I don't know, I don't know what it's called. Like I guess it's a Dial of Destiny, but that's Indiana Jones. Completely I wouldn't be able it was something like that. Tomb Raider, let's sort of raid again or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She's back again. Yeah. Like, Tomb Raider, who cares? It's Angelina Jolie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's all you need to know. <laughs> So <laughs> moving on from our Angelina G, Angelina Jolie, I can't even speak the word, Angelina <laughs> Jolie, War Love, uh, we're just going to go on to your pick for this this podcast that we kind of narrowed down after me being a, an arsehole. Um, <laughs> so as we all I explain every time, that I've got a list I send out to all my guests to say pick and choose whatever you like. Um, you pick two movies, but we kind of narrowed it down to one. Again because I was a prick. Um, so, 
and you picked Die Hard from 1988. Yes. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. California. Is Daddy coming home soon? Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. I missed you. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power. They're as brilliant because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. But I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants. Think, damn it, think. Is to be a hero. Where's Holly? Hey, Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? John. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Lady, we sound like a board of pieces! He's inside? Who is he? Who are you then? You have lost troublesome for a security guard. Sorry, wrong guess, huh? Would you like to go for double jeopardy? Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee guy, mother. You just destroyed a building. I am in charge of this situation. Well, I got some bad news for you. Come up here, that looks like you're in charge of Jack. He is alone, he is tired, and he hasn't seen Disney Squad from anybody down here. Hey pal, how you feeling? The whole thing beating would rather be in Philadelphia. I want blood and you have it. Only John can drive somebody that crazy. He's an easy guy to like. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. And a hard man to kill. Bruce Willis. Die hard. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? So, what made you kind of gravitate towards Die Hard? Um, was this a kind of favourite in your household when you were growing up? Or no. <laughs> Not even. I didn't discover Die Hard until a little over 10 years ago. Wow. Um and I just I just put it on because I think I was on my expendables kick and I was like, obviously, Bruce Willis. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna watch Die Hard. And I put it on around Christmas time and I was like, this is the greatest Christmas film I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well we'll, we'll go we'll get into a bit of the controversy and later on in the podcast about um that 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 be using that word now. But obviously we're at the festive time. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not a Monday in November. We're talking Christmas. Yeah. Um, we're going to go a little bit into that now. So we're going to go a little in a bit about the, the kind of history of Die Hard. So, um, so Die Hard was uh, from 1988, directed by John McTiernan. That's his third movie after the hugely successful and iconic Predator movie. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, big favorite of mine. Obviously, a big favorite of most people. Um, it's written again by written written by Stephen E. D'Souza who worked on films like 40 Hours, Commando, Street Fighter, and The Running Man. They're all episodes we've done before, I've talked about before. Um, it's just a, a massively great movie. Um, so let's have a little bit into the plot. 
So uh, John McLean, a New York cop, played by Bruce Willis, on vacation in Los Angeles, tries to save his wife and an office building filled with her, her co-workers um, from German terrorists during a Christmas party in the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. So, again, what, do you, what did you make of your rewatch of Die Hard? Oh, my God. I think, you know what? I think I enjoyed it even more watching it this time. Um, I just, it's so silly, but it's just so violent at the same time. And that's like, I love, this sounds really bad. I love violence. I love movie violence. <laughs> I love gore. I love just like, you know, what can we do? What is the most messed up thing we can do to people? And I just, I just really loved it. I mean, it's very silly and it's very mm. like American macho and it's very of its time, mm. but it's just like, it's just this great story of this guy kind of needing to kind of make amends and to kind of seek redemption yeah. because he's been a pain in the arse to his estranged wife. <laughs> and he has to do it while crawling around barefoot in the air vents of Nakatomi Plaza and fighting off all these Germans. And I mean, Alan Rickman is superb in this. Mm-hmm. Like if this isn't the pinnacle of his career and it was like, it was if not his first, one of his first movie roles, because yes. he was doing Broadway beforehand mm-hmm. and someone had seen him in this play and been like, he'd make a great villain. And so got him in. And it was just, it's such a break from what action movies were mm. previous to it. Because before that, action movies were like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, Stice Stallone, who are pretty unobtainable figures. You know, they're very much like massive muscles, like what you think an action hero would be. Whereas in Die Hard, we've got this everyday man who is flawed, Mm -hmm. who, you know, is a bit of an arsehole. And he's, you know, he's, it's not like he's like, I want to be the hero and save the day. He's like, oh my God. Yeah, I guess it better be me. He's really like, he just doesn't want to do it, but he knows he has to. And it's like, you know, he, he works with other people like Powell. He's, mm. you know, it's just, it was just a departure from form for action films. And, you know, it's got this great balance of humor where it's like an anxious humor because he's like, I am totally fucked, but I'm going to be yeah. smart and quippy about it. Um, and yeah, it's just got this great balance of like comedic kind of timing as mm. well as just great action and fantastic um acting by um alan rickman and bruce willis yeah I mean, so we can we can just we can just kind of talk a little bit about bruce willis himself that you know you kind of touched on he's not sort of your prototypical sort of um action star before this he was mainly known for moonlighting and um also known for bruno now i'm got something very special to show you okay now, I love Bruce Willis, right? That's, that's, <laughs> for an audio podcast, you won't see this, but I'll put a picture up on, on, on when we do the, the episode. Okay. I own this. Bruce, it's Bruce Willis as Bruno. This <laughs> alter ego when he played the harmonica. Oh, my God. And, and this is under the boardwalk. Yeah. Um, of oh, the Return to Bruno album. Yeah. I got this in like a charity shop, but I was so happy when I found it. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, a Bruce Willis vinyl. That's amazing. Um, but he was mostly known for sort of, he was quite a sort of a comedic actor. Mm. He'd been in sort of things like, like Mammy Vice and like sort of kind of small parts. 
and he was in the romantic comedy Blind Date. Have you ever seen that with Kim Basinger? It's an amazing, funny, very funny mm-hmm. romantic comedy movie. Um, but he was wasn't really known for action, much like we kind of we talked in previous episodes about Keanu Reeves. Again, not really a man known for like being in kind of bombastic action movies, but it's quite a kind of a if you're gonna have your your um debut of action movies, mm. you're gonna have you ha- and you have something like this. It's it's bananas to have like suddenly jump into one of the most beloved action movies ever ma- ever made. And like you said before, he's he's not muscly. He's sort of like I mean he is like he's got an, a good but I'm um, kind of dad body I suppose in a way. Mm. He's got kind of like a kind of a man's body. Not an unattainable man's body, but like, oh, yeah. see, he's kind of like, like you said, I think you said about he's being like kind of an everyman. You can see him like being like a, your, your dad looking at him going, like, I can, yeah, I could get a vest and put on a vest and be like, yeah. I can save a, save a, a terrible <laughs> for terrorists and be fine. Your old dad's like, you know, jumping about in a vest. Um, so it is kind of like a an interesting sort of like um, hero in this movie, would you say? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, he's got that kind of like, New York thing to him where he's quite, you know, he's totally bemused by California. He's like, what is this place? Like, what the hell is going on? And he's previously, he's, his wife left with the kids to go to LA to take up this amazing um, job. And he was very annoyed by it because, you know, he, what you think a New York cop would be that they are very into their traditional gender roles. Um, mm. And he was quite annoyed by this. And he goes, and he's he's quite macho. And to begin with, he's quite egotistical. Um, you know, he's the cop, he's the man. Yes. And I, I kind of like that he has this kind of character arc where, you know, they could have had him. So he saves the day and he could have been like, well, now you're going to come home with me and blah, 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 because I can protect you. Whereas by the end of it, he's like, I'm really sorry. Like, I was an absolute prick. <laughs> like, I am so sorry. Um, and it's kind of nice to see that development from, I mean, obviously there are a few things that you're like, well, this is the 80s. Um, but it's kind of nice to see that character development when it comes to this kind of thing in a film from the 80s Mm, mm. um and yeah just the fact that he's like you know he wants to work with other people and he's you know I mean there is a few things where he is quite up himself but I feel like that's more like I said before almost like a nervous energy Mm, rather mm. than you know when you get like smart quips from action heroes it's very much like one upping your enemy whereas with him it just seems like he's just really nervous so he's just gonna say whatever (laughs) comes to his head um and yeah I just yeah I just I, I enjoyed him I mean obviously there's a lot of things you know when you're a fan of especially American action heroes, there is this kind of whole, almost like a morality thing because the Americans do like to paint themselves as, you know, amazing. (laughs) And, you know, the the kind of capitalist yays, um, which obviously even now is a bit like, ooh. Um, But I I do think it's interesting how in Die Hard, they stayed away from being, I mean, like the group, the German group, they're terrorists per se, but they're mm. not, they've kind of stayed away from the eight, like the typical, like let's paint all Middle Easterns as terrorists. Let's yeah, paint yeah. all Russians as terrorists. Like, you know, and, and they were like, no, these are thieves. So I kind mm. of, I like the way it definitely skews a lot of things and 
you know, John McClain, he's anti-capitalist. He's, you know, anti-bureaucracy. He hates mm. the FBI. He yeah. makes mentions to the fact that he doesn't really follow the rules back home in New York. <laughs> so, yeah, they've really... It, there's a lot of good things when you look deeper into Die Hard that it's not the typical pro-American. I mean, there is a certain amount of, like, American good boy in it, but mm. it's not, like, in your face like a lot of other action films are. Yeah, it's not, it's not as jingoistic as... The, yeah. We've, uh, we spoke about it kind of the first episode we had of this podcast, like, about Red Running Man, when those kind of easy movies were, were kind of very much, like, oorah, sort of, like, America's amazing, and yeah. let's be up, let's split up the sort of the... Who's going to be the patsy this time? Is it going to be Iranians, is it going to be the Saudis, is it going to be, you know, the, the Germans? And I suppose yeah. in this movie it kind of is in a way, but I mean, yeah, it's not very like played like that in sort of sort of way, I guess. Would you say they're yeah. not really played like what would the word be? They're probably not played like you know, like sort of like it's not the country. It's like just these guys that we yeah. don't like. They happen to be German, and some of them are a couple of them are American. Yeah, um, and one one you know, uh, one Chinese guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because, because Al, Al Young was like the henchman of, of henchman at that time so you needed to have him in because he was in every other bad guy yeah. so like just get him yeah. in at one time and you look at a place but it's all good because he's that he's like the coolest coolest henchman ever um but they're not like played like it's not like they're not fighting the country of Germany yeah no they're yeah not like let's go and fight the, Na- the Nazis and there's no sort of like there's no sort of talk about that like it's more yeah about like they just happen to be these the, this nationality and they just happen to be in this place so they just are just a problem which is kind yeah. of refre- sort of refreshing in a way isn't it it's because it's yeah. not not played like we're going off to fight a war against this country it's like yeah because like, these arseholes in this building i need to get rid of them so i'm going to throw, throw my vest on and my shoes off and can i go go into the, the ducks and yeah so I, do, I do wonder if there's a sort of metaphor about world war ii though because obviously the baddies are german and mm. they're in a japanese tower japanese company oh, yeah, tower yeah, um and i do wonder if they're kind of representing you know this could be me just arson and being complete gobshite and saying <laughs> absolute crap but like will uh, Bruce Willis, John McClane, his character represents the everyman that was sent off to war against these countries. Mm-hmm. And I, and you know, that is what won the war, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's me looking too deep into it. But yeah, it is definitely interesting how like the thieves are run by Germans and they're in a Japanese um, businesses tower. Yeah. And, it's, and also a very weird, and like a very strange sort of sidebar here. As what on Twitter, like maybe through the week, and somebody is like, and this, I this, this is like a legit thing that had happened. I'm talking about World War Two. Somebody in the effects department for Pearl Harbor has put John McLean in the background. And I thought, <laughs> that sort of was so like, if anybody's going to go in and fight the war, it's John McLean, isn't it? Like, <laughs> like, if it's going to yeah. be like somebody kicking about, like just haggard and with his vest on, any jeans, no shoes on at Pearl Harbor, it's John McLean. I just find yeah. this, like, it just, it just kind of occurred to me as you're talking about the, the World War II sort of comparison. It's very interesting. I never, I never actually thought about that. It's quite interesting to think about the sort of like um, the challenge exhibition with that as well, because there's sort of like a lot of um, imagery about Japan, the Japanese, and like obviously next time with Plaza is meant to be the kind of icon is meant to be like a samurai helmet. There's like yeah. samurai kind of garb in the vaults and stuff when going to get the bearer bonds sort of things and stuff so there's a lot of like that imagery and obviously 
Hans is a lot, not, you know, an out and out sort of Nazi. He's more just sort of like a sort of opportunistic terrorist in a way. Yeah. He's kind of like, there's the kind of bits where he talks about where they're kind of like trying to get their demands and stuff to the FBI and they're like, oh, Red Dawn. He's like, oh, what do you mean Red Dawn? He's like, I heard about it in Time Magazine. Just get those guys out as well. <laughs> they don't seem to be like, right, okay, they just seem to be like all over the place in terms of like, they just want to kind of pretend sort of sort of almost plain terrorists to get their yeah to get their sort of their money they don't care about his money they don't care about really about these people being released from sort of um asylum essentially they want to kind of like they just want the money so they're just kind of like obfuscating i guess to kind of like to distract i suppose the fbi and the cops i suppose and so yeah and i guess in that way it provides this really good reveal of how ridiculous you know, the the higher ups in the American police and the FBI are. Like it doesn't it doesn't paint those guys as good people. It like especially the FBI are horrible. Like the two lads, they're like, oh, we don't care how many people, you know, we kill, how many host you know, if we get out with 25% of the hostages, yes. that would be great. And then one of them, like they're in a helicopter, and the older one is like with such glee, and it's so sadistic. He's like, it's like being back in, you know, Vietnam. And, you know, thankfully the other one's like, I was in junior high, like shut the hell up, Um, which I thought was quite funny, obviously, because a lot of previous action films were about the Vietnam War. Yeah, oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but I just thought it was really interesting how it wasn't showing these people as good people. It was like, look how messed up they are from the war and look how much they just don't care about the everyman. They're more into like, you know, making sure the red tape is all done and all the you know, the dots on the eyes, I think. And it's it's really like the everyday men, like Powell as well, mm, mm, mm. Um, and John McClane, who are there to actually uphold things. And even though they go against their bosses or whatever, it's, you know, they're still the good people. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting depiction on the Americans and their system of law enforcement as well. Yeah, so they, they, they don't, it's more about, John McClane being the sort of like the sort of hero and being like this kind of one man army essentially in a, in a sense being like well I can do this there's all these people these all FBI mm-hmm. agencies kind of army guys these kind of tanks and SES type guys that are coming in but he they seem to be more inept than what he is as a one guy with like no shoes just like one gun with kind of very very little bullets essentially and he seems to be have a sort of controller situation where mm-hmm. does he they seem to be kind of a bit more gung ho, and they sort of pay the price for that a little bit. Yeah, just, yeah. maybe they're, they're, you know, they're sort of completely owned in terms of the, and what's the word I'm saying? Looking for. They're just they're just outmatched when it comes to the terrorist. Yeah. Groups. So the small terrorist group can sort of destroy these other guys, but they're yeah compared to John McLean, where they just can't seem to sort of pin them down and sort of like yeah. <laughs> get rid of them yeah. sort of like as like he says a fly in the ointment essentially yeah and i guess that feeds into like a theme of male ego mm. because you know we've obviously got the fbi guys um uh hans is obviously very egotistical but then we've also got ellis who is like another portrayal of like this egotistical masculine bloke mm. who that is the downfall it seems like they're there to prove that like these egos will be the downfall of people because even though McLean starts with an ego, mm. he lets that go. Um, and he, you know, has redemption in the end and he wins in the end. Whereas, you know, the FBI agents die, Ellis dies, Hans dies. Um, 
And it, yeah, it just, it definitely seems to be this like seeking redemption through violence, but also like this loss of ego, um, which, yeah, I think is, is a really interesting theme when it comes to Die Hard. Yeah, and I think I think that that as he says, is, there is a kind of a good arc in terms of, mm. and I think that his friendship with Al through the kind of the mm. talkies, he sort of there's a kind of like that this kind of scene where he's kind of picking out glass from his feet, <laughs> and he sort of has this sort of like come to Damascus moment of being like, Do you know what, I've been I've been a complete prick, yeah, and <laughs> my wife is doesn't really deserve me to be an arsehole to her, and it's like it sort of takes all it takes glass in the feet to from just to be like, right, Do you know mm. what. I've been a fucking arsehole. This woman doesn't deserve me being an arsehole. I just, it just sort of, sort of, he becomes sort of like, it kind of all comes out, sort of be like, I'm sort of jealous and I just want to, I want to be sort of the the, the guy there that can look after yeah. her. But really, she's, she's a very easy woman. She's very like, very kind of powerful and very like, mm. um, progressive and she's very, you know, um, so what I'm looking for successful, I suppose she's kind of up, kind of up to the up the ranks of the Nakatomi Corporation. You know, she's like kind of basically um, Takagi's right hand woman, I suppose, right hand man, I suppose, in a sense as well. Um, so I think it's maybe at the beginning he kind of starts off kind of jealous and a bit like, "What the fuck?" You know, you change your name, and but she's like, "Well, I want to kind of rise the ranks. I don't want to be, I don't want to be under your shadow, under your name as well." She changed mm. her name to Gennaro, and um, I think she kind of really wants to be. An indep- much an independent woman, but still be love with John and still like have her kids and still cares about her family. But she is very driven, I suppose, in a way. Would you say that you know Holly is? Yeah, I I feel like a Holly. I feel like she got. I mean, if there's one um, criticism for Die Hard, I do feel like it's it's kind of representation of women can be a bit poor at times. Mm, mm. Um, Like, yeah, we see Holly and she's, you know, she's decided that even though her husband doesn't support her, she's going to take on this role and she's going to do it all. And, you know, look, look after the kids and also rise up the ranks in Nakatomi. Um, But even when she's kind of, um, when her boss is killed and she's kind of pushed towards being his successor on that night, Mm. she's she's still not given that same prowess. She's still left to look after, you know, in quite like a, a traditional female role where she's left mm. to look after the other prisoners, whether it's like looking after another pregnant woman or... So it doesn't feel like she's really actually been given a, like a, a role of being mm. the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like, you know, the other women are either topless um Mm. kind of sex objects or it's a poor pregnant woman and so yeah it is a bit the the portrayal of women isn't great but I mean if you're thinking about the 80s like it it was a time when more women were focusing on their careers Mm -hmm. um and so I do think it was a you know as good a portrayal as you're going to get in the 80s of a, a career woman however I do wish that at the end, you know, where Powell is like, oh, you're, you must be Holly Gennaro. And she mm. goes, no, I'm Holly McLean. I just wish they'd left that out. Because, mm. like, she she doesn't have to go back under her husband's name. No, no. To, you know, still be 
a wife or still want to be with her husband she can course, still yeah, be yeah. her own person so I kind of wish they'd left that bit out yeah yeah I can see that I can see that there wasn't really a, a need for it. I suppose it's a very schmaltzy mm. easy kind of way to, way to sort of end it kind of like oh you know I'm, I'm I love my husband now and I'm just gonna change my name back and it's like yeah it's a very easy trope as yeah it's, they could have maybe just sort of um subverted that a little bit and maybe made her a bit like you know yeah I'm Fuck yeah, I'm, I'm oh, Gennaro, I do what the fuck I want. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll ask for couches with, in front of Terrace, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, that, yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. I think it's, I think it's one of these kind of things. But I, when, I, when I watched the movie a couple of weeks ago and I listened to the, sort of, the, sound, the commentary, there was a lot of like, there was a lot of talk about eye candy and mm. a lot of talk about, you know, the, maybe John McTain didn't really want that. He was like, well, I, what, it was a lot of kind of window dressing or sort of thing. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's a Playboy sort of centrefold as John's gone through the kind of the, the ducks and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's kind of that, a, like, that makes no sense. Like, why yeah, <laughs> why would you need to put that there? <laughs> there's sort of like, they kind of talk about a strange part of it being, like, being a bit geography. Like, well, we're all about geography in this movie. It's all about mm. like presenting things and making sure you know where John is and where they are and where the characters are, et cetera. But yeah, you don't need to have boobs to show <laughs> geography. Just like a, a sign would be fine. It's all good. But, <laughs> you, are you, know, you are here. You are here. Like, like, duck, okay, cool. You can, t- you can touch them. Yeah. I'm, I'm past that. Instead of going like, I'll touch some boobies and like, go past. And, like, <laughs> this, this is how I remember where I am. Which uh, uh, <laughs> I think is quite fun. But yeah, they could, I mean, they could have, they could have, they've done this, they've done sort of a lot of legwork to make Molly mm. be quite, a sort of powerful woman and quite, you know, successful. They, they sort of maybe belie that a little bit at the end and sort of kind of fuck that a little bit, tiny bit maybe. Yeah. Like, yeah. Being like, oh, I'm just going to, um, you know, just because he saved the day. I, even even part part way through the, 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 the movie when, like, Hans is kind of kicking off, she sort of says to him, like, oh, like, if uh, John's got to him, he's like, how do you mean? She's like, well, well, they aren't, John's the only person that could piss someone off like, as much as that. <laughs> Which I think it's quite a funny, funny line because she's like, yeah, I love my husband, but he's a complete fucking arsehole. Yeah, so, yeah. So even even in the most heroic situations, he still finds a way to be a dickhead to someone. And it's like, yeah, he still thinks he's like, oh fuck's sake, which I quite think quite funny because I mean, as much as my girlfriend loves me, I think sometimes she's like, you're a fucking cunt. <laughs> and I go, okay, fair enough. Yeah. But I know she loves me, but I know she also thinks that I could be a complete arsehole. Sometimes. Yeah, same. Like I, I love my <laughs> husband to pieces. But he is the only person that can wind me up as much as he does. Yeah. Like he is the only person that can get under my skin that way. Um, so yeah, that that is quite a funny line. I just I just think the whole thing is like basically to women, it's kind of like, well, you can be as successful as you want, but you'll always need your husband to save you. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a bit of a, a bit, yeah. yeah. I think I think in the lens of twenty twenty three, it's a bit like we can see it for what it is. I mean, it's, yeah. it's obviously it's very easy and very like of its of its time. You know, is even if it was coming to start the nineties, where it was a bit more female centric, a little bit more like of where women became a bit more kind of the kind of the powerful kind of easy sort of like office women to come into sort of a bit more like maybe sort of what was that kind of movement called? Sort of like lad sort of lad culture. Mm. Like, like, like when it, kind of women were a bit, a bit more like we'll go down the pub and be cool <laughs> and blah 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 and there was more there was a bit more like 
when Moon can make them even more powerful now than they are. Yeah. As they are even more powerful now, more, in, you know, in, interesting. <laughs> uh, but more sort of like independent and more sort of like mm. respected now as we, I think they should be. Um, but yeah, it's an inter- interesting sort of way to, to be about them. Hopefully that, um, I just kind of like like the way the Holly's kind of portrayed in this movie. If, even if she has a little bit left to be in um, the... In, well, I don't know what words to say, but she's still in the Holly. Not giving her sort of a, a credence at the end, which she could have been. And I think she maybe kind of ties a bit a lot in the kind of other movies, but... Um, she does get that amazing punch to the um, oh, does she, does she news broadcaster at the end. Yeah, so we'll give her that. What we're picking, I think nobody would have been quite happy to do that. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Asian action movies, we're going to delve a little bit into the Big Five. Uh, big Five is where I talk about the five big action movies of, this, of the era, the 80s and 90s, and find out where they are at that in this year. So Die Hard 1988, we have Arnold. Uh, he was in Twins and Red Heat. Quite a different juxtaposition of, of <laughs> movies. Um, Chinese handed comedy and also being a, a big wrestling. And, and again, with a, a, again, a quite a comedic film, Red Heat. If you've got, you know, you've got James Belushi, again, a kind of funny, funny character actor, but um, it's a slightly different movie. We've got Stallone. We talked about jingoistic jingo- action movies. Rambo Part Three, where he goes and fights the Saudis and the Russians. <laughs> um, so that's uh, if we're talking about Ura, sort of like eighties action movies with big muscles mm. and gigantic guns. That is the movie for them. Um, we have the debut movie debut of Steven Seagal. He was in Above the Law, or so, also called Nico. Um, so he was going to come into the fold to become one of the big action five. Uh, John Claude Van Damme, who was in the most the seminal movie Bloodsport. Um, if you've seen, if you've seen any John Claude Van Damme movies, Blood Sport is sort of the, the iconic movie that he was in. Um, and obviously he was in Black Eagle with Shokazugi. Again, some kind of a ninja sort of movie, but he's mostly in spandex, uh, a spandex leotard for most of the movie. Nice. Um, which, which, you know, he's doing the splits, so it's all good. Uh, <laughs> and we could Jackie Chan. He was in The Amazing Dragons Forever and Police Story 2, um, which we'll be covering in the podcast very soon. So let's get back to movie and we'll talk a little bit about um, some kind of character actors here. So we've got a lot of character actors in this movie. We touched a little bit about William Atherton from Ghostbusters, played Walker Beck. Then he plays a sleazy sort of like um, journalist. Mm-hmm. I guess he's like his face panned in by Holly Gennaro. Uh We've got the great, amazing Reginald Vell Johnson as Al Powell, the sort of the sort of heart of the movie a little bit, would you say? He's kind of like, mm. he's got a sort of like, Sort of like the a sort of sidekick, a sidekick of John McLean, but also sort of kind of the heart. Sort of the kind of he's had the sort of a hard time. He's not. He's maybe been in a higher up sort of situation in the in the police force before, and then shot a child, and that was an accident. But it, you know, it's like it brought him down to sort of being a kind of beat cop again. So you kind of get a look at the backstory that maybe he was in, maybe he was maybe a bit more, not reckless, but maybe a bigger. Bigger cop, you know, and he's kind of heady. Mm-hmm. He's an older kind of gentleman, but he's still, you know, still got a good conscience. He's still a, a good cop. So he, he, he kind of matches quite well with John McLean. And I think he's a really great in this movie. He's also in Die Hard 2 as well, but in a very, very small role. And I wish he'd kind of bring him a bit more. But um, 
Um, we've also got other genre, great genre actors like Robert Davi, who's in License to Kill. He, for me, he's in the Maniac Cop movies. They're very daft. I love Maniac Cop. <laughs> all the sequels are very, very stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we, we touched again about the henchmen of all henchmen. Tiger Al Leong, the guy who's in is the bad guy for everyone. Basically, if you a speed dial, if you sorry, if you phone his answer machine, if and he just answer with "I'm hi, I'm Tiger Al Leong." If you want to play a bad guy, I'll do it. <laughs> goes on with that, but I think we can touch a little bit earlier on the part on the podcast. I think when we're talking about actors in this movie, real true actors, we have to talk about Alan Rickman because mm-hmm. this role is sort of transcendent. I don't think that Alan Rickman, sorry Harry Potter fans, has <laughs> ever had a role quite as juicy and yeah. perfect as this, as Hans Gruber. Mm. As we talked, we kind of sadly, sadly passed away a few, few years ago, wasn't it? It was um twenty was it twenty seventeen? Was it over oh, was it quite well ago then? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, and obviously a, a huge character actor, amazing actor, um, both theatrically and obviously in movies, um, but this is this is the Alan Rickman role. Would you say this is when it comes to the benchmark? Hans Gruber is Alan Rickman's like mm. biggest role and most perfect role. Would you say? How did you feel? How did you think of him as a sort of villain in this role? Maybe seeing it for the very first time when you were younger, you know, ten years, ten years younger, I should say. Um, <laughs> do you think he's? Well, it's a bit of a rhetorical question, really, isn't it? It's like, do you think he's a good villain? I mean, I mean no yes, he's so snake-like like Mm. he's a snake even though I love snakes um (laughs) but you know like if we're thinking about the stereotypical portrayal of a snake you know he's just he's he seems so calm and collected but you know underneath that he's like sadistic and sinister and yeah he's just so like when other you know his team are kind of losing their heads about things he's just so like just can command them and he doesn't even have to be like violent or this you know maniacal madman as a lot of uh, villains were kind of portrayed at the time he's just you know he's he's like this aristocratic european almost Mm. and the fact that he can command these henchmen with this kind of quiet you know um sinisterness he's just yeah he's just fantastic and you know one of my favorite scenes is where he meets john mcclain for the first time and he pretends to be an american yeah oakley yeah and it's just so it's so tense but he's just so relaxed and he's just so he's just charismatic as Mm. a villain and i i I love i love charismatic villains and we only really see him kind of start to lose it towards the end when, you know, I think he comes to the realisation that he's probably not getting out of this. Yeah. And that's the only time that he kind of snaps somewhat. Um, but, yeah, he's just, he's fantastic. And I'm almost sad at his death at the end. Mm. Although I wouldn't have imagined any other death for him. 
I yeah. think his death really suits him. And yeah, I just I just love Alan Rickman. Like I knew him as Snape, mm. and that's what I knew him as. But you know, sometimes when a character is so, uh, an actor is so well known for a certain character, mm. and then you go back and you see them in another role, and you're like, oh, I can only see Snape. Yeah, but it's not like that with him like for me he is Hans Gruber mm, mm. and I just like even that scene where he brings Ellis into the office to talk to John McClane and you just know you just know that it's not going to turn out okay for mm, Ellis mm, because mm. of the way that Alan Rickman's playing Hans Gruber like you just know yes. and it's so uneasy and tense yeah he's just I couldn't imagine anybody else in this role I mean, he, like you say, he's quite, he's quite charismatic, but in those sort of like scenes with Ellis and you've got scenes with Takagi, there's like a bit where, you know, like Takagi goes, well, if you want the cause, you're just going to have to kill me. He's like, okay, and just shoots him. Yeah. But he's very cold. Mm. You know, he's, he is very kind of, he talks about his, his, his suits and he talks about his, he's like kind of he quotes Shakespeare and he kind of mm. quotes Alexander and, you know, he's very poetic and he sings Ode to Joy. And the and he kind of hums it to an elevator, and it's all kind of throughout the movie. And but he's at base, he's very narcissistic a little bit. He's mm. maybe a little bit. He's maybe trying to act a little bit more aloof than what he really maybe is. I think yeah. maybe he's, he's a bit kind of like a two-bit kind of crook, but he just wants to be a bit more like effete. Yeah, like more like um, seeing this sort of like intelligent and high-fluting, and when he's maybe just a kind of essentially just a, a bank robber that just yeah. has a nice suit and, you know, has a very coiffed beard <laughs> uh, and, and a nice, nice little notebook to read from his, read his quotes from. But he, he, I think a lot of times he, he brings sort of like just a, a class to the movie a little mm. bit. Um, like, I, like, obviously I've known from, from being this, from being Hans Gruber, He's always been hands good for me then, you know, in the years when my girlfriend would show me, you know, Harry Potter movies, which she's a big fan of, fan of those movies. Um, not so much J.K. Rowling, but, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Boo. <laughs> um, but, so, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a little bit different for me because I just see, when I see Snape, I just see Hans Gruber. Yeah. I just can't not, like, see Alan Rickman as that, you know. He's been in a million diff different things, you know. He's amazing in Robin Hood. I think, mm. like, again, another classic villain. He just seems to lend himself to being an arsehole. Like a, yeah. slimy, a slimy <laughs> sort of like bratish sort of like ar sort of posh arsehole. Yeah, um, like even even in his Love Actually role, you're well, like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely, he's yeah, such yeah. a villain. <laughs> a complete arsehole. Like, in a slightly different way. In a less violent way, but in a more yeah. sort of like emotionally violent way. Yeah. Poor old Emma Thomas. I know, I know. And that's a great, that's like, I mean, that's another great, like, um, a slightly different uh, tonally um, Christmas movie to watch. Mm. Actually, maybe a, le a bit less. Great violent. double bill. <laughs> watch Die Hard and watch Love Actually, understand yeah. why. Like, or maybe watch Love Actually, then see him go into a full villain. Arc yeah. <laughs> by the end of it, um, that's quite fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I think we I, we listen to commentary again. I think because later on in the, in in the kind of the, when he was like they were shooting it, he found it quite hard to be. I don't remember finding it quite hard to be as violent and a bit mm. like a more um, aggressive 
know, it's like bits where he kind of get, gets right up in Polly's face. He's like, I've moved on to kidnapping or I'm transitioning to kidnapping yeah. now. Um, he had to, John was like, you need to be like an arsehole. It's okay to be like this way. Like, you know, we've, you've been sort of cold and calculating, but now you need to be a desperate dickhead. You know, you need to be like, like frantic. You're like, you've got your thing, you've got your money. You're going to get out of this, but you need to get rid of like her and you need to get rid of her husband. So you need, you're, you're sort of desperate now. You're not like, you're not coming out being all sort of nice and being like, sort of like, uh, we're just going to like, just going to hold you hostage and you'll be fine. But everything goes to plan. We'll be okay. And we'll build your hair. Now you're like, you're sort of like, you've shown your true colors essentially now. And I think he sort of struggled with that a little bit, like coming from sort of like maybe a bit more of a, Shakespearean sort of like mm. very sort of posh sort of background, a very sort of theatrical background, but gets to come plays like sort of a sort of villain now. So, which I think it was quite interesting to in the kind of hear about become being like he was sort of coerced into being like a, a really horrible bad guy by the end of it. And then we talk about obviously the end. We'll talk about in a second uh, and about his death. But he just, he just, I, I, I cannot argue with anybody that that says. Watch Mojo's type action fucking videos you see on YouTube that go mm. hundred different bad guys. You're like hundred of the best bad guys. You're like, and he's always number one because yeah, it just is. He just yeah. he just went into that role with just such a plum. He kind of gave himself to that 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 movie. And we've talked about how it's kind of a cheesy action movie. And it's a very like daft action movie. It's very kind of comedic because I think that's a lot of times that John McTiernan says he wanted that to be the because we're dealing with terrorists, they want mm-hmm. to be sort of a kind of dark movie. You want to have sort of lightness, and also Bruce Willis brings that lightness to it. And sometimes a little bit that um, Hans Gruber has a little bit of a kind of a, a kind of funniness to him as well. Mm-hmm. Like he's sort of in the kind of Bill Clay scene, you know, when he gets sort of one upped with a gun, and the guns get no bullets in. Because John McLean, no, the whole times like, I know that I knew you were like Hans Gruber. I, I knew the voice. Your American accent was shit. Um, <laughs> He's sort of, yes, sort of kind of panicky and sort of like, oh shit, like I've been fucking outdone by this, this sort of daft like American cop. Yeah. And he sort of is, I, like, I quite like. He's just such a good sort of dynamic, but I just think he's an amazing, amazing actor, and sadly, sadly, sadly missed because um, I just think, I just think these, not just great in this movie, it's great in a lot of movies, mm. and I'll give him his due. As much as I'm not a huge fan of those Harry Potter movies. <laughs> And J.K. Rowling. <laughs> um, he, he's an amazing Snape. Yeah. He's like, um, I do cry when he dies. I will give you that because even though <laughs> that I'm not invested in it, I am a big giant 41-year-old crybaby. So I will, I will watch this movie and cry. And I'll cry when Iron Brewer dies as well because yeah. I, I deserve for him to, I want him to live. Yeah. Insane. Have you seen that um, advent calendar that's the Nakatomi building and every yes. day, yeah, Hans Gruber gets closer to the farm? <laughs> I, want, I want that so much. Every year I go, I'm just going to get that. There was like a tree topper as well. I seen that it was like Hans Gruber coming off the Nakatomi Plaza. I went, I want, really, really want that. There was like another one that was like Bruce with a kind of like the the fire um, hose wrapped around him. Yeah. Not the building. I just think, <laughs> I just, I like, so, I mean, talking about Christmas movies, obviously, we can put this officially to bed. This is very much a Christmas movie. Yeah. Um, on the audio commentary I listened to, 
John Tiernan makes it very painfully clear. He's like, listen, it's a Christmas movie. I shot it cri- shot for Christmas. It's yeah. Christmas movies. I wanted to go even more fucking Christmassy with it, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> and he said, I wanted to have palm trees with lights and bubbles on it. But they went, John, you've been fucking ridiculous. He went, okay, I'll have things in the background. So you do see a lot of Christmas trees. You see little elves get shot up in the glass scene. Um, John McTiernan himself came out last year in the London Action Fest and said, look, I'm putting us to bed. This is a Christmas movie. Yeah. Stop arguing about the internet. Stop going to Twitter and going, it's not a Christmas movie. He's like, no, it definitely is because I wanted it to be that. It was purposely done for that. Um, I mean, what what more is a Christmas movie than something comes in and threatens someone's Christmas? Yes. Like, you know, if, if Hans had succeeded then those poor kids' Christmas would have been absolute fucked. <laughs> you know, mummy and daddy weren't coming home for Christmas. And John McClane and Pal and, you know, they basically save Christmas. So why is – and there's Christmas music in it. Like, yes, that's Christmas. I don't, I don't, I, I don't understand. Like, I've, I've argued the toss with, like, even friends of mine, they go, this is for you, Neil. He says, this is my friend, Neil. I'm calling you right now in this podcast. It's a Christmas movie. You can shut your mouth. I'm putting you in bed now, mate. You've, you can shut your face about it. This is a Christmas movie. I own you. Okay, well, let's go back to that. But uh, so, but yeah, there's, there's so much Christmas stuff in it. There's Christmas mm. trees. There's Christmas music all over it. You know, there's at the beginning, at the end. Christmas is said multiple times in this movie. I, I, I just don't... And where do you think that the people would get this attitude where it doesn't? like a Christmas movie is it because there's a, there's no snow yeah if, if John McClane was walking about barefoot in the snow do you think it would be more yeah like it was a Christmas movie yeah that's it exactly there's no snow there's no <laughs> Santa um <laughs> there's no yeah I just that's probably it I reckon if they'd have set this in New York mm. in the snow people would be yeah. like yeah it's a Christmas film but you know people need to realize that places like California and Australia and hot places do have Christmas too, <laughs> just because yes, it doesn't true. snow. Yeah. 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 I think anyone that says it doesn't, it's just wrong and they need to go and reevaluate their life choices and spend some time thinking about what they've done and said. I mean, it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of rectifying a little bit in Die Hard 2 because you do have snow in <laughs> Die Hard 2. So go and watch Die Hard 2 and they've just pretend that's Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> even though that's like kind of a new year's movie or a, I think it's a thanksgiving movie maybe um but there's a lot of snow in that one but yeah mm-hmm. like ellie not really known for snow yeah i mean like not really known for blizzards or, <laughs> or very cold weather it's mostly known for sh- shorts and t-shirts and <laughs> hulk hogan i suppose but just just very and hulk hogan um but very like summary it's, it's, it, exactly it's, it's not always going to be, I mean, how do we know it's not, wasn't cold? It could, it could be cold. It could be a cold day, but just no snow. Exactly. All, all these things, we just, we just have to use our imaginations and be like, let the Christmasness wash over us. Like, exactly. like a mighty wave. But yeah, it's very much a Christmas movie. And yeah, every day, we mean again, agree that you just shut up about it and say, <laughs> just shut your faces. Just, shut your faces <laughs> and just, enjoy, and just, just enjoy the Christmas. Eat your, eat your turkey and enjoy yeah. what you had on your day. So yeah. we're going to go a little bit into a technical trip into the trivia zone now. Trivia. The Akitomi Plaza was itself the 21st century Fox building. 
um, they were actually none too pleased about the way this this, this uh, the building was treated throughout the movie. Um, if you've watched the movie, you know, if you're a fan of this movie, you'll notice that they do a lot of damage to this movie. Um, to the to actually point that like, and the scene where they drive up the steps with the the tank. <laughs> they said, "Oh, what, what do you what do you intend to do in this scene?" They're like, "Well, we're going to drive a tank up the stairs." Like, "Well, that damage the stairs? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> Let's find out." And they just completely destroy all the banisters. Uh, that's quite that's quite fun. And then I think by the end of it, there's like a, obviously there's carnage by the end in the end scene where all the kind of papers falling down with snow, snow again, Christmas. Yeah. Um, when all the people came for the work the next the next day after it's shot, place is apparently a bomb site. They just like. <laughs> What the fuck? They just like, turned <laughs> up and the place was like completely destroyed. Finally, it was just being built at that time. There wasn't like a fully fledged building, so there's a lot of like scenes where you obviously see where obviously the sort of jungleistic sort of metal scenes were obviously the, the kind of building sites and all that. That was like true. They were building stuff there, so they were allowed to use those bits and sort of destroy them bits because at that point they hadn't um weren't, weren't really doing anything on those floors. It was still very much um open plan essentially so they could do whatever they want with them but the rest of it they were not too pleased about them blowing up things and being quite um OVTT about things <laughs> a lot of a lot of fire a lot of like um explosions a lot of debris um but I think they were kind of like realized that maybe after the fact like no I'm not this is not really happy but all the money they came in after this movie and subsequently now before the kind of die films they've made now um diminishing returns who they should be, um, they get worse every time. They're still making a lot of money, so they probably made them. They probably made that money enough to, to you know, put as many gold panels on the place as they can. I don't know. Um, Bruce Willis himself, he received a whopping for the time, uh, five million dollars as his fee for this movie. It's quite unheard of at that point, um, for an actor to ask for that and get that amount of money. Um, this was actually approved by everyone's favorite. Octogenarian Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> we all love Rupert Murdoch here. What a lovely, lovely guy. Um, <laughs> the most famous trivia, of course, is well, which we'll get to now is the Alan Rickman fall. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot been a lot been said about. It, but we'll go over it again because it's obviously a fun story. He agreed to go to seven the seven floors, drop into this, this airbag, agreed to do the stunts as long as you know they were safe and they were like going to do it by the book. They said, we'll count to three, two, one, and it will drop you on one. They went three, two, and they dropped him, and his face was just a picture. Um, probably the most genuine look of fear, shock, amazement, <laughs> um, anger, <laughs> um, all in the one sort of conveyed in one sort of um, face. I didn't, I mean, I, I, went, I didn't know that until until very later on that he actually did that stunt. Seven floors is still very, very high up. Mm. I think about like when where I work. If I went to seventh floor in my work and jumped off, I'd and stood the top of that. I'd be like quite scared. So even if I knew it was an airbag there, I don't know if I would do it. I don't yeah, know if you knew. Maybe maybe you're a bit more braver than me. <laughs> but I think the, um, I don't wouldn't do that shit. There was a lot of thing about because the recently the Twilight movie. Obviously, mm. they had a massive um, tragedy with the stunts in that film. Mm. And so this was a time when there was a lot of chat about, you know, 
actors doing their own stunts and mm. you know is it safe you know the film crew are more important etc but yeah bless him alan rickman like a trooper a trooper indeed indeed and like even with bruce willis like he's very first so he came straight from shooting moonlight mm. or moonlighting mm-hmm. um and his very first scene was that scene where he throws himself off the building with the fire hose wrapped around him. Mm-hmm. That was the very first thing he filmed. Imagine that, like just jumping straight into it. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> you're, you're in a comedy show with a romantic comedy show with several shepherds. Mm. Your first day on the job is like, <laughs> just tie this around you and jump off the jump off the building, which is Bruce. Yeah. Sorry, what? <laughs> I'm just wanted to jump off the building. Remember the back in the, in the scrap where you jump off the building? Now, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah, just just bat in. It's fine, go for it. All right, okay, cool, here we go. But yeah, like, I can imagine, it's just, I mean, that, as a kind of Hollywood guy, I can understand. You go, okay, and you'd be happy with that, but to go from, like, dangerous liaisons on, on in sort of, like, a, a London theatre to be like, right, do you want to jump, want to fall off seven floors off this and be as a bad guy? Like, excuse me, what? I was going to do a, a bad element, I mean, but I didn't do that. <laughs> um, I'll save you this table trouble, but yeah, can I just imagine? Imagine the sort of that's giving yourself to a role, be like, mm. right, I won't do this because even though I've, this is like my first big movie and my first sort of kind of meaty role as a kind of like a second, a second, sorry, second fiddle to like Bruce Willis, but certainly not in terms of acting prowess. To go and do something like that is quite, quite mad. Yeah, I it think is. It's yeah, quite, it's quite, it's quite daring to be like. To fully kind of commit to something in such a way, be like, right, my character is going to have this amazing death. I will do it myself. But I can, I just would just love to be a fly in the wall <laughs> when it comes crashing at that, that mat, mm. coming off and being like, just reading on the right acts. <laughs> just like, I just always just love to hear this. Sort of the, I just wish there was like a documentary we could see that part of it because I just imagine just like kicking off. And just some sort of a feet sort of like posh <laughs> English way, like, oh, for fuck's sake. Why did you go up like that? Uh, I just think it's so I just think it's very, very funny. Um, so that was our little trip to the trivia zone. So we're just gonna wrap up the podcast a little bit. So we're just gonna talk just kind of just at the end of the movie now. So we've obviously talked about Die Hard quite a lot. But anyone who hasn't seen this movie. Uh, if you've escaped somehow escaped this being on ITV every every fucking ten seconds, on or on TV two, or any other sort of like Christmas playlist and TV times or radio times, would you recommend this movie to someone now, even in the lights of twenty twenty three? Oh my god, a hundred percent, like a hundred percent, and I just think it's such. <laughs> It's just such a great film to put on at Christmas. And, mm. you know, because, like, I think about my husband and he's not into Christmas films at all, like, barely into Christmas. But it's such a good, like, film that you can put on and be like, this is Christmas, but also it's still... Like, you can watch it any time of the year as well. Mm. Like, yes, yes, it's yes. just that it's an all-rounder action film that you still get a little bit of that Christmas spirit, but it's mainly about, you know, John McClane hanging people from chains. <laughs> it's... Yes. Uh, yeah, I just think it's so enjoyable and just a laugh as well. It's not like a heavy-going action film where you're like, oh, Jesus, like, mm-hmm. you know, sick of the Vietnam War metaphors. Um, and, like, I know we dug a little bit deeper into it, but, like, it's just a great film that you can just take at face value as well. 
Um, yeah, it's it's easy to watch. I mean, it is what about two hours? I think. Yeah, you. But like, me. doesn't feel like it. No, no, no. It's great. And it's, it's just it's well. Yeah, and it's just it's a really easy digestible film mm. and i think it's great to pop on with a box of quality street and <laughs> enjoy um one of my favorite lines in it which is when ellis is like hans booby i'm your white knight that's like my favorite i'm just i'm gonna be quoting that forever <laughs> absolutely it's, it's, it's amazing and uh it would all be as as gung-ho as ellis <laughs> yeah yeah we um, should all right. have we should all have that the the fake confidence of Ellis. <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think it's fake confidence as much as much as it's just a lot of cocaine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just a shitload of cocaine. Just, just shitload of cocaine and a lot of money, um, and very very white teeth. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna end with a couple of questions. I'm gonna say, Ash, to let the creeps know where to find you, and I'm also gonna ask you since it's Christmas, what is your Christmas movie wish? Um, you can find me, you can find the podcast, What a Scream, um, on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm also on Twitter at what underscore scream, Instagram, what a scream. Um, and I got s- several articles with like Ghouls Magazine and Moving Pictures Film Club. And what is my Christmas film wish? Oh God, I don't know. I, you know what it is? I wish everyone would watch a certain Christmas film. That it's just hilarious. If you love silly and hilarious and 80s films, um, Silent Night, Deadly Night. That is my Christmas wish for yes. everyone to watch that film. Yes. I agree. <laughs> I can, I'm going to endorse that with you. Yes, absolutely watch that. I would say also watch, if you can find it, Dial Code Santa Claus. Um, okay. It is very much like Die Hard, Home Alone. Um, I felt, it's actually, film actually came out before Home Alone. It's a French movie about a kid who fights Santa Claus. Um, it's fucking amazing. It's very, very daft. It's got an amazing Bonnie Tyler song about Jesus in it. Um, what more <laughs> That's what every for? film needs. Every film needs a, a Bonnie Tyler song about Jesus and Christmas time. Um, and a sort of serial killer horror esque Santa Claus who tries to murder a dog. Uh, so, yeah, so if you want to watch that, I think. But suddenly, Deadly Night, an amazing... Very, very daft uh, Christmas movie. Uh, once I saw on my rotation now, because since I watched it, I fucking love that shit. Mm. So, yeah, go, go out and watch that. Um, I think we can both say to the creeps, hope you have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and a, and a strong yippee ki yay to all of you. So that was my chat with the lovely Agreen. Hopefully we've convinced some people to join our cause for recognition of this as a Christmas movie. They've got some converts for that. Uh, so thanks Agreen for coming on and sharing her love of Die Hard with me. So I'll be back in the new year with some fun episodes and our first picks from The Wheel of Cheddar. So thanks as usual to Petros for producing the show. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Your MC Podcast. We are now on YouTube at your move creep pod go over there give us a follow give us a subscribe i've got some very fun videos planned in the future so keep an eye out for that uh, also remember to like and subscribe to the podcast if you can tell your friends about it and also please have a very fucking fun christmas and new year creeps and i'll see you in 2024 i will be back <laughs> <laughs>